Acts of the Blood God. <laughs>
more talented and skilled gamer than I am just because he's good at this game. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That works. <laughs> Did you see that Polygon was getting crap because they didn't finish Neo in like six days? <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that sort of thing seems to happen a lot to them. Like, I think there was a similar incident with Doom. Yeah, people are like, oh, Polygon's not hardcore enough. And I'm like, oh, give it a rest, for God's yeah. sake. Because <laughs> you're good at a video game doesn't make you an amazing person. They make your I fingers really strong. I happen to know really a lot strong. of people at Polygon, including at least one of the people who was reviewing Neo, and I happen to know that he plays a lot of freaking video games, and he's actually quite good at them for the most part. He's certainly well, better than me at Hearthstone, girl. I mean, we, we've, we've had people who, uh, I, when I reviewed Mighty Number no. 9, and I said it was terrible, which it is, uh, I had people telling me, oh, well, that's just because you're not a Mega Man fan. You don't know how to play Mega Man games. Never mind that I've <laughs> met my husband through a Mega Man fan site, number one. <laughs> you literally wrote the book on Mega Man. I literally wrote the book on Mega Man with him, with the Mega like, Man Robot Master. You literally wrote guide. the book on Mega Man. Yeah, but I don't like Mega Man games. I'm not good at them. All right, Nadia, it's time for Persona 4 Golden Report. Well, Risei is better. Uh, a whole bunch of stuff happened, um, plot-wise. Uh, Teddy turned into a Bishonen. What is up with that? He has a little flower on his uh, on his uh, lapel now, though. That's really cute. Um, someone else is dead. Uh, the poor guy, I can't remember his name, like his actual name, because everyone calls him King Moron. He's the teacher. And they're mm-hmm. all talking about how, oh no, King mm-hmm. Moron is dead, and they hate him so much when they can't even call him by his real name when he's hanging off a flagpole or wherever he was. <laughs> So that was a bit of a twist. I did not see that coming. Um, and of course, it's a bigger twist because here you have someone who's dead in very much the same way as the other victims, but he wasn't, as far as anyone knows yet, thrown into the television. So mm-hmm. I'm really curious about what's going on there. Okay, so I, I, I met the investigator who's uh, working on the, the case, uh, the young teen with a nice hat. Um, Everyone in Persona 4 has really nice hats, the people who wear hats. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I just know it was something with an N. See, you know what's <laughs> funny? Like, I was just reading the reviews um, for Acts of the Blood God. Uh-huh. And apparently one of our reviewers, like, often talks to us while listening to our podcast. <laughs> Aw, that's so sweet. Um, and is reminding us of are um, reminding us of things like names um, when we're like going, I don't remember. <laughs> By the way, it's Naoto. Naoto, that's it. I'm really sorry. I wish I could like hear people like, we should do this live sometime. Yeah. Well, I think we should actually. And that, actually that I've been be kicking fun. around an idea for a live Acts of the Blood God. Oh, nice. <laughs> at some point in the near future, like over like, you know, YouTube or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're interested in that, let me know over like Twitter or like email or something. Um, yeah, it <clears throat> might be a lot of fun, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. Uh, we could talk Persona live and have people correct us as we go along because we need it. Yeah, oh, I guess so. um, exams are starting next week apparently. Ooh, back to the exams. Have yeah, you been studying. My knowledge is pretty good, uh, but mm-hmm. I should probably really focus on studying. Uh, what I used to do, or what I did to like do well in the midterms, was I um, studied during rainy days in the mm. library because mm. that gives you a nice boost. But uh, what I've been doing with rain- with my rainy days lately is doing the mega beef bowl challenge in the Chinese yeah. uh, restaurant. That's the one that's going to give you so many boosts and attributes. Yeah, and um, it's what was it? A vortex of meat. <laughs> you have entered <laughs> a, the meat dimension. A door into the meat dimension. 
so good. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I haven't been able to do to to finish that, but every time I um every time I try, I at least like get some good bonuses for it. Yes, exactly. Well, you have to get a certain attribute up to be able to actually complete it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like you need to have a few attributes, I think, to to really master it. What do you get for mastering it? Do you do you know? I don't remember, but I do remember that the attributes are very useful for making social links. Yeah. And uh, I've been going to band practice more. I've been neglecting band practice. Stop neglecting say. band practice, Nadia. <laughs> you gotta play in the band. Gotta play my trumpet, damn it. It'll make you a better, more well-rounded person. Yeah, because uh, I noticed that uh, uh, Naniko wants to talk to me about something, but mm. I'm not ready to get it out of her yet, apparently. Mm. See? Um, exactly. Yeah. Although uh, Dojima did open up to me a little bit more about his wife, and that was... That was a bit of a story. That was really kind of oof. Yes. Like she got uh, hit by a hit and run driver. That's who uh, Dojima's been trying to find since then, without much success. But the fact that she, poor Nanako, was waiting for her to pick her up from school, and she didn't for hours, and nobody knew she was dead. She was just lying there because it was like early in the morning or something like that that it happened, and there were no witnesses. Just the oh, just even thinking about that makes my heart go. <laughs> Fun fact, Persona mm. 4 is really dark. Yeah, it's a little dark, just a little. <laughs> uh, it's funny, like, um, we have a new person coming in next week um, on US Gamer, and she is a Persona 3 fan. Mm-hmm. And she always says that she prefers Persona 3 because it's darker. That's um, just what I need, a, dark- <laughs> a game that's and- darker than Persona 4. She's not wrong in that Persona 4 is maybe a little more bubbly and a little more uh, kooky than Persona mm-hmm. 3. Mm-hmm. And it's got that Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of aspect to it, where it's like high school kids solving mysteries. They're really dark mysteries, but it's still high school kids solving mysteries. Yeah, they're just, I guess uh, Teddy could fill in for Scooby-Doo. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um but it's stuff like that, and also King Moron hanging from a telephone pole or whatever, uh, <laughs> yeah. that is actually rather dark. And I was like, okay, how do I react to this? Because this guy was an asshole, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did get a laugh out of uh, one thing about this game that actually gives me a laugh overall is how it gives me such nostalgia for like the early aughts, late uh, kind of like mid-aughts, like people have their flip phones and uh, King mm. Moron's making a reference to like MySpace and LiveJournal. Yes, oh my god. Because this game did come out in 2008. Yeah, and it's very much a, a product of its time in, in regards to culture. I can't believe it's that old. I know. That's that's hard to believe. That's really but... crazy. All right. I, I have a few questions for you. Sure. Um. So, Teddy's like, big reveal happened. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I was not expecting that. What do you think? <laughs> He's kind of cute. He is kind of cute, isn't he? Yeah. And now that I think about it, I know I've seen his his picture around as in that form. So I, I guess I didn't make the connection at any point. That's the form I like. The, yeah, the, uh, I like that. It's a good reveal, uh, though. Of course, Teddy is such a perv. Uh, yeah, it's a, l- a little ridiculous what a perv Teddy is. You know what <laughs> uh, human Teddy looks like? Who? Uh, the friend that we alluded to on this podcast, not Ash. I was gonna say, uh, but Kyle, who lives in Japan, who actually kind of dresses like uh, Teddy. Does he really? Oh God, yes. He's always wearing like super nice outfits. Oh, that's adorable. Um, he's very dressed up. He takes like his fashion and his style very seriously, and his hair is actually pretty similar to um, Teddy's hair from 
uh, Persona 4 Golden. <laughs> that swooshy, blonde, mm-hmm. beautiful wave. Oh, I'd like to meet him. I, I've never gotten to meet him. Oh, you would like him. I, yeah. I think you two would get along famously, I would Aww. even say. Uh, he'll talk your ear off about Chrono Trigger. Oh, I can do that. I will talk your ear off about Chrono Trigger soon, because I'm going to be playing it on a plane. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. All right. And what do you think of Naoto? Um, I'm not sure yet. Like I said, he really reminds me of N from Death Note, which is like, mm. then I start flashing back to Death Note, and I start thinking, man, that was a pretty good series, except it kind of fell apart when such and such happened. And so, um, so he- I haven't seen Death Note in a long time, but re- forgive me, uh, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, N mm-hmm. was kind of like a zealot trying to catch the, the catch light at the, at any cost, right? Yeah, more or less. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that Naoto's like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Naoto has many hidden depths, and I'm interested to hear what you have to what you think uh, on that front. Well, um, so far he's interesting in in regards to. I mean, he obviously knows that there's more to the the gang, quote unquote, mm-hmm. than than what the, the cops really know about. Uh, Although I am a little surprised that Dojima's kind of not very quick on the take in that in that regard, uh, his uh, idiot assistant is a, is a different matter. But um, uh, yeah, and the fact that uh, they say they've caught a perpetrator, which of course I'm guessing is not going to be uh, who who it's supposed to be, but who knows at this point. Uh, but he's still hanging around the gang, so like they told him. So are you just kind of lonely because they they cast you out when they were done with you? And he didn't quite say yes, but didn't say no. So. There's obviously something going on there. Yes, indeed. Um, all right, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what you have to say about the story as it gets a little further. The plot thickens. The though. plot definitely thickens. I, I was not predicting the the twist in any regard. What a twist! What a twist! <laughs> so it's June, right? June. Um, July? It's actually July. Wow, uh, you're moving right along. I am. I think it's around July 11th. It's almost my birthday. Hooray! Yay! All right. Well, okay. That has been our Persona 4 Golden Report. Do you have thoughts on Persona 4? We would like to hear them. Send us an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. We may read your comments on the show. Okay, Nadia, this is it. <clears throat> Time to get down to business about Fire Time Emblem. Time to get down to business. Let's talk a little bit of Fire Emblem Heroes. Um, okay. So Fire Emblem Heroes came out at the end of last week. Mm-hmm. Um, we both downloaded it, and mm-hmm. we both ended up having very different takes. Um, mm-hmm. My take was to be like, well, this is okay, but I'm pretty disappointed in Nintendo for going in and uh, kind of embracing this microtransaction in-app purchases-driven model. And you uh, you contended that it was actually maybe fine because it's going to get a lot more people into Fire Emblem. And it has already made you more interested in the series as a whole. Yeah. Um, one thing I think has to be brought up before we discuss any further is uh, this isn't Nintendo's first foray into... Uh, no, the not. real free-to-play stuff, like Pokemon Picross had, if I'm not mistaken, had the stamina system. and the, They the, sure did. Yeah. And, uh, and everybody so, hated it. Yep. And so did Badger Arcade, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was not that interested in, but my husband was a huge fan. So, you know, take that as you will. Uh, but 
My thing with Fire Emblem Heroes is Nintendo tried things the other way, and it wasn't even just a matter of people saying, oh, I don't feel like this is worth my $10. It is a matter of people getting just so furious over the fact that they were quote-unquote tricked by Nintendo, when Nintendo was never never made it a secret that, hey, this is how this works. You play the first three levels, and then you pay nine ninety nine if if you want. Um, but people are just so not used to paying uh, for mobile games, period. Or if they do, they're looking at maybe $0.99. Cents. And just so, few, so fewer people are angry over the fact that Fire Emblem Heroes is a free-to-play game. And yep. it's, it's interesting to see how mobile games are really getting more and more segregated from traditional games. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, when I started writing about mobile games uh, several years ago, um, it was a much more diverse, lively market. You had so many indies on there who were just like, like you mentioned Kairosoft. Back in the day, you had so many indies who were, who had those great ideas, who, who put them out on mobile. They've all, or they're all going back to consoles or going back to Steam because you can't make a profit on, on the market anymore, on the mobile market anymore, unless you're, you're Nintendo or you're Squaresoft or, or you're somebody like that. So I think we're getting to an age where free to play is all you're going to see on mobile. And I, so that's why I don't really begrudge Nintendo for doing as they do in Rome. I totally do. <laughs> I gathered. Because I think that the free to play, especially that particular version of free to play, mm-hmm. um, just fundamentally compromises everything. Mm-hmm. Like it twists the gameplay toward forcing you in some way or another to monetize Mm -hmm. and monetizing is the game Mm -hmm. and in that respect it just fundamentally corrupts the entire structure at its best it's annoying Mm -hmm. or like problematic Mm -hmm. at its worst it's unethical Mm -hmm. Uh, i know a lot of free-to-play mobile developers i've heard many stories (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about executives turning literal cartwheels um, over being able to get whales. And mm-hmm. they will always say, well, I'm not going to tell people how to spend their money. And I'm just like, that's what casinos say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I I think that this model is poisonous. Mm-hmm. I think that it is an active detriment to gaming as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think Candy Crush is the worst freaking game ever made. <laughs> it's still making the money, though, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a monetization engine. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, so y- you may know that I play a lot of Madden. Yes. Uh, Madden has this thing called Madden Ultimate Team. Mm-hmm. And Madden Ultimate Team is built around uh, ripping packs mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and getting better and better players to build up your roster and playing with them. And... I played it and it's okay. Um, and on the one hand, it's kind of saved sports games as we know it. Like it's made so much money. Right. But on the other hand, it's deeply, intensely frustrating. Yeah. Because because it makes money, that's where all the resources go. Right. That's where all the effort goes. Right. And See, my, my argument against that is uh, here, here's where I'm probably being naive. But I just don't see Nintendo devaluing their properties to that extent. I don't see them... They have a lot of pride in their properties. And 
the, the way I wrote about it yesterday is um, this is kind of a, the best case scenario for Fire Emblem because it's not just like, oh, here's your mobile game, now shut up. You have There are a whole bunch of Fire Emblem games coming out on the horizon. And if they if if Fire Emblem Heroes does for what what Pokemon Go did for Pokemon Sun and Moon, I I just can't be against that. It can be an ambassador, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's going to the dark side, Nadia. I know that <laughs> people are like, oh, well, just go and play uh, the hardcore Fire Emblem games, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Yeah, I think I will and. Actually, I, I, did, I have played Fire Emblem Heroes. I've even monetized. Um, there you go. But the fact that Nintendo went down this route at all is disappointing to me. Because I understand that. At the end of the day, Nintendo's a company, and mm-hmm. they're making money. or And it's like, whatever. And you said they're kind of being when in Rome, right? But Exactly. <laughs> I don't want them to be when in Rome. <laughs> well, here's something else we have to consider. Uh, Japan, uh, yeah. we've talked about this many times in the past. Everything mm-hmm. there is mobile. And in fact, Fire Emblem Heroes made like something like $3 million on its yeah. first day. And that was almost money, entirely money, Japan. Money. Yeah, and that was almost entirely Japan. So, you know, this kind of goes back into something I, I noticed in, in Persona 4 and something else we talked about. Uh, I forgot to mention that I'm building models now because there was a guy there who, uh, uh, it's actually a, a wish I'm fulfilling for the fox, he, he, this guy wants to really kind of get into building models, but he feels like he's too old for it, and he shouldn't be doing it, but he's saying, well, you're a kid, maybe you can do it for me. And it's just kind of sad and disappointing that Japan has that mentality where you have to grow out of something, you are expected to grow out of this thing that you love, and unfortunately, from what I've heard from many people, that's what's happening to the video game market. And mm-hmm. mobile games are still acceptable, but the older stuff, it, it, the other stuff, like the more hardcore stuff, is not for, for some reason. And yeah, and this is very much for the Japanese market, which exactly. um, is even more hardcore into free-to-play, in-app purchases, blah, 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 than mm-hmm. anything else. It's, it, it's kind of a dark time, I, I think, that people are just kind of willing to accept it um, mm-hmm. at face value. And I don't know, like when I, I I've seen the curtain drawn back on right. these kinds of games. And right. well, so have I. the people who are often making these games are not developers. They're not people who even play games. They're people who use a spreadsheet mm-hmm. and have figured out just the right amount of time to mm-hmm. get people to monetize. And they're like, well, okay, we have figured out a certain algorithm that's going to make sure that people are going to pay into this game at X amount of time. So we're going to have uh, cost certainty and this game will make X amount of money. And then all they're caring about is how much money is it bringing in? Oh, the we're seeing a dip in revenues. Okay, um, we need to do something to improve that. Like it's just mm-hmm. a money machine. And maybe I'm being naive when I say that I don't want Nintendo to go down that path. Maybe mm -hmm. maybe I'm being naive when I say that I would rather they had made, say, a classical Fire Emblem on mobile and maybe nobody would have played it. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's 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 just not the path that I, I like to see them going down. I hate stamina. Mm-hmm. I think stamina is the worst freaking game mechanic ever invented. 
Yeah, yeah. I wish I do wish that wasn't in the game. Um, uh, I I think the slot machine mechanic is annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a fan of slot machine games because even when you monetize, you can get completely screwed. I hate it. <laughs> God, it's the worst. Five three star polls. Hooray! It's funny, like, I, you know, as we all know, I was playing SD Gundam like crazy over the holidays. Mm-hmm. That is like the definition of a game that if it were made by an American developer, it would have been a mobile game and it would have been monetized from here here and back. Mm-hmm. Although and, it's, uh, I have to say, it's a lot of the, the really uh, Gashapon style games I, I like come from Japan. <laughs> they are the kings. Uh, it's It's true. But it wasn't. It wasn't monetized from here to back. It was mm-hmm. a That's very good. fun collectible game where I got all of the stuff I wanted by paying in a certain amount of money up front. Mm-hmm. And I when the monetization isn't at the core of the freaking design, yeah. It's not going to uh compromise it. So that's why I'm just really troubled by Fire Emblem Heroes. Yeah, I understand that, but at the same time, I don't know. I I see the game market as like I don't know, I guess it's diversifying uh, as we speak. I remember the first time I ever saw an in-app purchase, uh, and that was actually, I don't know if you ever played a game called Gunbound. Um, I didn't. It was just this really, it was like a worm's clone, but it was hyper cute. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a web-based game, and it was from Korea. And, um, God, this was in 2004 or 2005, and they started to let you buy things like skins and stuff for your for your tanks uh, with real money, and I'm like, "What the hell is this? I, I've never, I've never even heard of this. This is garbage." And <laughs> here we are. Um, I think, I think it's more than just the fact that, um, I think it's more than just the fact that people are paying money and that paying money and monetizing is at the core of these games. Mm-hmm. It speaks to kind of a debasement of what we expect from games, mm-hmm. in the sense of people only care that the game makes them feel good. Mm-hmm. They only care, they don't care about interesting mechanics, they don't care about narrative, they don't care about anything. They only care that they tap it and some stuff happens, like some like pyrotechnics happen and they get an item. Mm-hmm. And then they're willing to keep putting in money to make that keep happening so that they get the endorphins. And I'm just like, what is this? Like, why are why are we allowing ourselves? Why are we allowing the hobby to be hijacked in this way? And well, it's, people it's are like, like, "Well, Fire Emblem Heroes is the lesser of all these evils," but it's still problematic. Yeah, but it's it's not like we don't have other options anymore. Um, I mean, like I said uh, on in my piece, uh, to be fair, Fire Emblem Heroes has gotten me more interested in playing like Awakening and Birthright. Not, sorry, I played Awakening, but like Birthright. And and all those those three for the 3ds that I missed out on because I'm drawing these characters who I think are really cool and I don't know who the heck they are so, but I like them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's what Nintendo. I mean, Nintendo has made it clear that's ultimately what their plan is with for mobile is to make people more interested in their um, their actual the games they put out for their own systems. And I'd really 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 like to see that work in Japan because going back to what I said earlier about people not playing games anymore on consoles over there and handhelds diminishing, I want to, I, I want to see the hobby be reignited over there because I, I well both of us value Japanese games a whole hell of a lot and to see them actually get turned all turned into you know this crappy mobile free to play stuff 
that's devastating. Like I said, I light a candle for Breath of Fire every day of my <laughs> every day of my <laughs> damn life. But I don't see Nintendo going completely like completely pulling a Capcom or completely pulling a Konami and saying, "Oh, we're just doing this now." I think they'd probably you know just shut their doors first. But if this is what it takes to help them, you know, get into the younger players' hands and and survive from there on in, you got to take what you can, I guess. You're right. I don't think Nintendo is going to pull a Konami, thank God. Yeah. That said, I I decided a long time ago that mm-hmm. free-to-play, like, this particular model that Fire Emblem Heroes uses mm-hmm. is completely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And that as someone who actually does have a platform, <laughs> I am going to stand up and I'm going to wave at clouds and I'm going to tell... <laughs> And I'm going to say to all these people who are ignoring me that this is not okay. And that's fine. I'm glad that there are people out there saying that because, yeah, I'm being a little, like, you know, soft and wishy-washy on the matter. But, you, yeah, you're totally right. It is all developed for endorphins. But if I can say something interesting, not necessarily to, de- to defend free-to-play mechanics on those endorphins, but I do remember when video games were like the big demon back in the 90s, Mm -hmm. uh, psychologists were writing these papers about how games get children addicted by making them like strive for that next level, and you know, they were saying basically the same things you are, just about these, about like Sonic and Mario. That's what RPGs do, don't they? They get you hooked by, like even the, even like regular games have their quote-unquote addiction loops and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. Mm Absolutely. Absolutely. That's not wrong. Um, and I, I recognize that I'm being powerfully naive and <laughs> pushing back against something that, like, well, frankly, is here to stay. And yeah. I acknowledge that. But at the same time, it doesn't mean I have to like it. No, no, absolutely not. I agree with that. You do not have to like it. Um, but uh, that's what the kids are into these days. Grr. Uh, like as a game itself like what do you think of fire emblem heroes like <clears throat> apart from all of the politics around uh free to play uh i think it's just a dumb fun distraction um it's basically a tiny slice of what you can get out of fire emblem and i think that's part of the point uh saying hey if you like this why not go for the, the bigger slice of the pie over here play our games over here um, I do like all the fan service, I have to admit. Like, I, I pulled Crom uh, on my first day, and I was like, woo! So I, I was pretty happy about that. I pulled Marth, too. Yeah, I pulled a Marth. I think everyone you know, pulled Marth. I, I find... So the culture around pulls, uh, the culture <laughs> around um, the slot machine mechanic, really weird. Yeah, uh, and like it's... Like, you go uh, on YouTube or whatever, and... Like, literally, it's just people sitting and watching people draw cards. Mm-hmm. Is that, like, in the, the sports community with uh, the Madden stuff? Oh, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there are people who have entire channels just built entirely around ripping packs. Wow, that is weird. But somehow I understand it because, I mean, when you, there are tons of channels built around similar things like uh, blind boxes for toys and whatnot. Yeah, it's like people give them money so they can buy more packs so that they can rip them. And people can be excited when they get a good card. Do they have really good reactions or something like that? <laughs> yes. Okay. I, I guess that's part of the theater is like they get to react to getting like a super rare card and stuff like that. Uh-huh. But holy crap, that is so weird. And you got a taste of that in Fire Emblem Heroes as well with people um, uh-huh. Going periodically on like re-rolling at the beginning to get like the best characters they possibly can. Yeah. 
I didn't do that, and I got stuck with like a three-star variant. I really should have rerolled. I should have too, because I mean, I got a Marth, but most of my characters are pretty weak. Mm-hmm. Um, I I played like pretty intensely over the weekend because uh, made me realize something, and I, this is maybe an obvious realization, but it did make me realize it. Mm-hmm. Um, mobile phones are just more accessible in the sense of I don't have to pick up my 3DS. Like, they are just a lot... They come to hand more easily, right? They really do. They really like, do. I, I just open up Fire Emblem. Like, I have my phone right here. I just open up Fire Emblem. I'm like, do 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 I'm playing them. As opposed to digging out my 3DS and mm-hmm. turning it on and starting mm-hmm. it. And the, Somebody in the comments was going on about how they play mobile games now because they don't have time for, like you know, super intense hardcore games anymore. And, mm-hmm. like, mobile games make them happy and stop being such an elitist. <laughs> Which, I, I guess, fair enough. Um, they're not particularly nourishing experiences when it comes to games as a whole, but I can totally understand the desire to just have your phone close at hand and just to be able to open it up and start playing. Yeah, and, I mean, we're, the video games isn't the only industry, of course, that's changed because of that convenience. I mean, look at music uh nobody has like a separate mp3 player anymore oh, um, no. they remember they, when I mean, people did though Jeez. yeah and an increasing number of people just watch shows and stuff on their tablets or their phones as they i mean any day i take a bus i'm gonna see like five people at least just watching something or other like some show on their on their phone i just remember when mobile games were like this wonderful interesting new friend frontier for game development mm-hmm. and man they really did get debased yeah, it, that I I totally agree on. But to to on the on the plus side, like I said, they they've gone back to consoles. They've gone back to PC. It's not like indie developers have given up entirely by any means. They've went back to console and PC and found new and innovative ways to monetize <laughs> and ensure that you would be continuing to pay in. See Madden and Dota two <laughs> games that are not only good but also monetize the hell out of you. Well, those aren't indie games, though. Like they aren't I, indie. No. When I started, like I said, when I started writing, there were people who would like they would charge you like a few dollars for their indie game on the phone, and everyone was okay with this. And uh, one thing I really wish would come back, but apparently Apple doesn't like them, is uh, the idea of quote unquote light games, where you play a demo, you de- you download a separate demo, you play that, and then if you decide you like it, you go in for the full uh, the full thing. Yeah, I've seen those before. Yeah, you don't see those anymore. Um, unfortunately, what everyone does, what Nintendo tried to do and ultimately failed at, or they just go completely free to play. Sounds about right. And <laughs> MMORPGs, free to play. Yep. And it's pretty much, like I said, it's pretty much a market that only the big guys can survive in now. So Yeah, we- that's how it is. Games cost so much money to make mm-hmm. and are such a risk that uh, companies are just like, oh, fine, you can like make a game, but how are we going to make sure to monetize it and mm-hmm. like triple or quadruple our investment? Mm-hmm. And we are now reaching a point where there's a huge gap between, well, indie developers who themselves are now like the the age of the the solo indie developer, like making something in their garage is like going away fast. Yeah, absolutely. Because now indie develop indie games, like there's been such a glut of indie games that like you have to do something really great to stand out. And that mm-hmm. means having like really top end art and like really good like mechanics and everything to the point where it's almost essentially a 
just a regular release like you're yeah, spending yeah. a couple million bucks you have like multiple lots of people um helping you out and yeah like games have just gotten so expensive it's no surprise that a lot of companies are just kind of throwing up their hands and going in this direction and mm-hmm. if anything i think it's only going to get worse i really hope it doesn't i i just i like to have diversity in my in my platforms i'm hoping that like we just kind of that everyone benefits off each other like i really do hope nintendo's plan ultimately works i think that we're gonna see something in the games industry similar to what you're seeing in anime right now what's that which is um you have your right like regular tv shows that are like super moe or whatever (laughs) but you also have these super premium shows that Mm -hmm. like um lupin or um Gundam the origin uh, that kind of thing yeah what where what they'll do is they'll put it into a movie theater and it'll have just the the best production like super nostalgic like they get their best uh possible stars or whatever mm-hmm. they put it in a movie theater for the super nerds to go watch and then they sell the blu-ray as you're walking out of the theater and the blu-ray oh. is like 60 bucks and it's a hell of a lot of money to pay but mm-hmm there is a implicit understanding that you are paying for a premium product that you right. want which is why i'm like yeah whatever i'll i'll pay a i'll pay like 60 bucks uh for this one blu-ray cuz it's like a collectible and it's for a thing i want to support mm-hmm. that's interesting so, i never knew that that happened in japan so i could see something similar to that happening with games where mm-hmm. like uh certain game developers are just like yeah we'll totally make this amazing game for you um we're going to charge a hell of a lot of money, but you're going to get a really premium experience. And this is an awesome thing for hobbyists. And maybe we'll only sell 100,000 units, but that would be enough to pay our expenses and like fund the next game. Right. And you see that to some extent with crowdfunding and everything. Yes. Um, which is why, and it's helped the hobbyists like continue to make their stuff. But I think the upshot of all this is that commercial games are going to continue to go in the direction of well, Fire Emblem Heroes or mm-hmm. uh, League of Legends or things like that, where um, the hobbyist stuff, while there will continue to be a much greater divide with the hobbyists, uh, the people who are playing insanely hardcore RPGs like we are. Yeah, pretty much. So as long as I still see, you know, like the Zelda's Breath of the Wilds and the Persona 5s and the, the yeah. Mario Odysseys, I'm happy. Let the, let the mobile games exist, too. Yeah, people will continue to make those games. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's going to be a demand. Uh, it might be a small demand, mm-hmm. but um, with this demand, uh, like with the small demand, like they'll just charge more price, uh, higher price, which is weird given like how supply and demand usually works. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> well, back in the day, I, I paid 115 dollars for Final Fantasy VI, so I've been down that road before. Yeah, SNES games used to be really freaking expensive, didn't they? Oh God, yeah, especially in Canada back then uh i think but to your earlier point i think it's less let mobile games exist and more just accept that they exist because yeah you can't go back there's no closing <laughs> that pandora's box no there really isn't you, you can rail against them all they want all you want but unfortunately they're just not going to go anywhere not for a while anyway i mean yeah, for a while web games were really huge and then they died uh, because of phones so who knows maybe something else will come down the pike Meanwhile, I'm playing Fire Emblem Heroes, and I did pay twelve ninety nine for some orbs. One of us. Well, I wanted. I was getting really tired of like how limited my my roster felt. Mm-hmm. So I 
I went back and I, I paid some orbs because I wanted to get a like a, a fresh infusion of blood because mm-hmm. uh, orbs were taking too long to get. <laughs> yeah, they do take a while to farm. Yeah, like Nintendo intentionally put that bottleneck in. Mm-hmm. Um, good job, Nintendo. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine last night, though, who was like, oh, yeah, compared to these kinds of games, Fire Emblem Heroes is actually like really cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, it's uh, I- I've been ripped off worse. Oh, I've totally been ripped off worse. Um, Hearthstone, like, takes me, like, basically shakes me down every, like, few months. <laughs> it's insane how much I've paid into that game. Like, it takes your lunch money. They they refresh the metagame every few months, and then, like, a whole new, like, sweep of, like, legendary cards and stuff come in. And unless you're, like, really, really, really good at the arena, you better be prepared Um to uh just grind either grind a whole hell of a lot or put money into decks right and i don't even have to pay for the adventures like i get to review the adventures so i get them for free and yeah. people have to pay for the adventures too or, that's right because i paid for the adventures or grind up enough coins to be able to buy it so like even as somebody who gets a lot of this stuff for free i'm still spending freaking money on <laughs> hearthstone god just trying to keep up yeah, that that's the whole thing. Trying to keep up. Yeah, I just don't have enough time for this. Like, there's like, oh, are you ready for an Uber grind? No, I'm not. No. Well, too bad. <laughs> and there's nothing worse than finally deciding to monetize and then getting nothing. Yeah. Um, I actually pay. I, I recently did a draw with my orbs for Fire Emblem Heroes, and I got like a bunch of three star characters that I don't care about now, just like. Ugh. Or another Marth. <laughs> I've gotten like three Marths. What's with the Marths? And at least in Madden, when you like, if you draw a character that you already have, like mm-hmm. a, a super rare character that you already have, mm-hmm. you can sell it on the auction house. That's all. Yeah. See, that would be really handy for uh, Fire Emblem Heroes. At the best, you can like combine uh, identical characters, but eh, the bonuses aren't that great. Yeah, there's no crafting system, which is super annoying because... There are some characters that I would really like to get, and I don't think I'm ever going to get them. Mm-hmm. Because there's like a 3% chance of getting like a legendary character. Yeah, although um, I have noticed that uh, certain characters uh, that are 5-star, you still have a chance of drawing them as a 4-star. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a little better. 4-star, you have like a 30% chance versus a like 1% chance, whatever stupid number it is. Yeah, you can get them as a 4-star, and then you can unlock their potential and promote them to a 5-star. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wrote a guide about that. <laughs> I think I wrote, yeah, I wrote one too about getting hero feathers. <sighs> I don't know how long I'm going to keep playing Fire Emblem Heroes, but you are right about one thing, Nadia. What's that? It did get me thinking about finishing up Birthright finally. Well, there you go. And because and like I said, that is Nintendo's plan, and I really hope it works out for them. No, Nintendo's plan is to make a lot of money. Well, that too. <laughs> and it's a nice side effect if Fire Emblem Heroes happens to direct you over to um, Fire Emblem... Uh, the mainline series, because then you're spending more money. Mm-hmm. But they don't care if you stay with heroes forever. As long as you keep playing and monetizing, whatever. Well, uh, I thought their their whole thing was like, of course they want to make money, why wouldn't they? But uh, they want to use mobile to make people aware of their their properties. Of course they want people to be aware of their properties, because yeah. they want people to also play those. Yeah, and that's I, I hope it works. I hope that people, I hope it does bolster handhelds and consoles and the switch and all that 
So uh, oh, it certainly helped Pokemon. I think Pokemon yeah. Sun and Moon was like one of the highest selling games in the series, and that and those games always sell well. Yeah, and you uh, still can't find a 3DS apparently um, because it sold out with the with Pokemon Sun and Moon. Uh, it helped that Sun and Moon is the best Pokemon I've played in years. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I'm really hoping that Stars is a thing. Me too, and I think it will be. In fact, I would even predict that we will learn something about it in a month or so when I the Switch so. comes out. Yes, I hope. I'm I'm looking forward to the next time we hear about a direct because I'm going to be like, ooh, Pokemon. So that's the end of our Fire Emblem Heroes discussion. Uh, we will be right back, and then John Lernan will be joining me to be talking about Neo, which is definitely not a free play, free to play game. So <laughs> don't go away. <laughs> All right, with me now is contributing writer to U.S. Gamer, John Learned, who recently reviewed Neo for us, which is the new Soulsborg game by Team Ninja. And John uh, knows a heck of a lot more about Souls games than I do. Um, he finished up Neo uh, pretty quickly, which is really impressive. Uh, John, the first thing I, I kind of want to know is, is Neo as hard as it's being kind of made out to be? I I didn't really think so. Um, it's, <laughs> See, he's just it, showing off now. <laughs> nah, it's no, not that it, hard. It's it, the thing with Neo, and I, I think this is a kind of a problem with the game inherently is that it just gives you too many options. So you you have multiple stances with your weapon. You've got different weapons that you can pull out. Um, I don't. I didn't really think you the game needed that, and I certainly didn't need it to finish it. So. I basically found early that I liked I liked using heavy weapons, and I was mobile enough. I played it more more offensively, like Bloodborne, where I was dashing around, and less defensively. That um, I just stuck with a high stance and a hammer, and I I learned the fights as as best I could, and I did okay. I mean, it was certainly challenging. I'm not <laughs> going to make it sound like this game is a joke. It's really not, but um, I can still see how. Other reviewers on a time crunch, though, are, are really finding this to be a problem because it's just it's so much to sort of wrap your head around. And if you it, the game is really trying to encourage you to do do a lot with what they the, what they're giving you. And if you're if you're trying to do all of that stuff and and fight some of the harder end boss end game bosses, it, yeah, it's going to be pretty tough. Yeah, some people were giving Polygon crap for not posting their Neo review in time for the review embargo. And as somebody who's reviewed a Souls game on on deadline without the benefit of any guides or anything else, uh, that is stressful as hell. So yeah. maybe cut them some slack. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is that um, <clears throat> the the servers didn't go live for this game until uh, like the day before the embargo lifted, a couple hours 12 hours or something before the embargo lifted. So like, you know, the, the average player who goes through a souls game or, or something like this, um, normally if they run into trouble, they would pull in another player, but we're dealing with at that point, a really small user base. Cause it's only the press supposedly at that point. Um, random YouTubers may have gotten some cop copies or whatever, but we're still not dealing with a lot of people. And, the, we don't know at this point if this how well the servers are running. The betas had to give us a pretty good idea of, of what to expect, but it's not as easy to, is to just say, "All right, I'm, I'm having trouble with this boss. I'm going to pull in a friend of mine or like put out a, a friend code on Twitter or something like that and have somebody come and, and bail me out." 
not until it's out in the wild. We don't really get that opportunity. All right. So I played some Neo uh, as part of a preview thing a few weeks ago. Um, and I will see if I can try to remember like a lot of what I kind of saw there. I remember it having a lot of equivalents to your average Souls game, but it also has super attacks. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you can equip and you acquire more as the game goes on. Like these guardian spirit animal things that they give you passive boosts too. But like once you hit a certain like meter requirement, you can charge up your weapon and do a super attack. Um, useful, but not super, super powerful that it's really going to turn the tables on a boss. Um, By design, I'm sure. Right, right. Um, it's handy because like it'll it'll temporarily give you essentially like a second life meter. So like as you're attacking, this life meter goes down. As you're taking hits, the life meter drops. Um, so that can give you sort of a, a get out of jail free card if you're in a really sticky situation where you need to run off. But it's it's not going to be <laughs> unless I guess like in the post game you can you can beef them up, which is something I thought was kind of strange that you can't do it during the normal game. But like after you see the end credits and you start going through the harder content, you can start putting levels on some of these, these guardian spirit characters. Um, if you could do that during the normal game, that really would make it almost unfair um, or like limit break worthy if you want to think of it in those terms. But um, yeah, but really knowing the game, knowing the weapons that you're using, that's, that's, the best antidote for any problem in, in this type of game. It's it sucks to say that. Like you got to get good at it, but it's kind of the way good. it works. Get good, man. Uh, you know, like your typical Souls game. Um, if you die, uh, your currency will be dropped, and you can go and retrieve it. And if you die again, is gone forever. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of being a knight, you're a samurai. <laughs> Which uh, is interesting, given that Team Ninja is best known for Ninja Gaiden. Uh, so now they have a ninja game and a samurai game. Um, and this befits that... it. It's befits the kind of change in the main character. It's uh, slower, maybe more straightforward than the Ninja Gaiden games. Yeah. Well, it's also a Koei Tecmo joint. So, um, you know, they're the Dynasty Warriors people, the Nobunaga's Ambition people. So it's very historic Japan, historical East Asian influence. So well, like Japanese folklore, at least because you're finding yeah. stuff like Tengus and things like that, like lots of spirits everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like you're like fighting in the, 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 the war of like, um, uh, back in like the Edo period or whatever. No, that's exactly what it is. Actually. I didn't, I didn't touch on the, on any of this in the review mm. because like, honestly, it, it was neat to see this stuff, but the story wasn't all that important to me. The gameplay was just way more interesting to talk about. But it's mm. it's it's very Koei Tecmo, Koei Tecmo, in that like you're running around with um, Tokugawa Ieyasu and um, all these other historical figures, and it takes place at the end of the the Warring States period, like at okay. the beginning of the Edo period. So, which this is kind of funny. The um, the character models for all these historical Japanese figures are great. They look amazing. Like the facial models that they got for these people, um, they look spectacular. And when like you compare that to um, William, the main character, who is this just kind of beefy white dude, um, it's funny to kind of see that it's it's like they drew this guy from a, a Japanese designer's lens of how 
like a 16th or 17th century Scottish or Irish guy would look. So he's got a much wider, squarer jaw. Um, and he just, he looks a little bit more cartoony compared, like when you see him side by side with the other character models, it's really kind of funny. Um, but yeah, no, there, there's a bunch of historic figures in there and, which is funny because it almost feels like you're running around like in a fantasy world. Oh, totally. And you're like yeah. fighting demons and like gods and stuff like <laughs> that. And they kind of mash all of that stuff up together. Yeah, it's um that that is the the Koei Tecmo way of doing things. So, I mean, this game had been in and out of production for like a decade. So, it doesn't it's it's not as big a story as like a Final Fantasy 15 or a um a last guardian but this game like was announced like in 2006 or something when the playstation 3 first came out so um i think koei tecmo i think which was just koei at that point um i think they were going to try to do more of a like a regular character action type game like a ninja gaiden type game just kind of set in in like a dark fantasy ancient japan and as time went on and as as they you know merged with tecmo over the years and they had access to team ninja um i i think that's sort of where the tra- the the development trajectory went with this so um this probably started as some kind of weird offshoot of of the um the dynasty warriors franchise for them and just grew into something totally different entirely my understanding was that it was kind of a dream project for the uh, founder of Koei Tecmo, <laughs> mm. and that it eventually okay. went to Team Ninja. And meanwhile, Team Ninja, as we know, um, spent maybe the past few years kind of in the wilderness. Um, <laughs> yes. When I was interviewing them, they made many allusions to the, well, we kind of lost our way. Uh, we were trying to be way too casual. Um, it didn't seem as if there was a place anymore for the kind of games that we liked to make, which were hardcore action games. Um and then Dark Souls came around, and it was like the light was shown, and we went, oh, we totally can make our games, the kind of games that we want to make, and we don't have to pretend to be somebody that we're not by making something like Yaiba, <laughs> which <laughs> literally made them wince when I brought it up. And it's like, we don't have to put in like freaking zombies and cyborg uh, ninjas, like we can just go back to what we kind of what we did best. Um so you ended up giving Neo a solid review. Um, it ended up getting good reviews in general. Uh, what did you end up liking about it the most? The combat is its just great. It feels so right in your hands. And the review kind of mentions this too, that like once you, um, you really get into it, you really get the opportunity to kind of immerse yourself in a, in a really good, tense one-on-one fight, even with just a regular enemy mook. Um, it just it feels so good to kind of dash around them and and um, just kind of do some of the, the crazier high combo stuff, but you don't really need that either. Like you can you can be an effective player without really going deep into the skill trees and stuff like that. Um, I love the loot. It's very Diablo-like in its loot system, um, and that affords a lot of interesting ways to build characters because there's um, loot has some some of them have like set bonuses, armor set bonuses, and stuff like that. So it's kind of fun to go go back into in a certain level, see if you can, um, you know, grab the rest of that, that certain set that you're looking for. And it's got a really robust, um, almost overkill blacksmith, um, system to it too. And that like, you know, as the game goes on, you start acquiring more, um, texts and things that, 
opportunities for the blacksmith to make you make you things. It's fun to hunt that stuff down. Um, it looks great. I'm not really a big graphics makes a game kind of guy, but um, there's two separate modes to the game that you can play it in. One is action mode, which locks everything at 60 frames per second, and it feels just perfect. Um, and then there is a, uh, a nicer resolution movie mode, which drops the frame rate to 30 frames per second, but it up, it up everything else. So like if you're, um, just taking stills or if you just want to kind of want to take a look at the backgrounds and stuff like that, um, you can play it in movie mode and it's going to look great. I didn't get a chance to play it on a, uh, PS4 pro, unfortunately, but, um, yeah, just having the opportunity to kind of see it and like this is the way it would look like if you if you didn't really care about how well it played, you just kind of wanted to see the the intricacies of the environments and stuff like that. And then just the the action mode is is the way that you should be playing it because it's just it's everything is locked in at the at a good frame rate. But it's just a it's a cool fast moving game. I loved playing it. You know, when I saw it, I, I thought that the actual visuals were really sharp. But mm-hmm. a couple ways that it kind of suffered a little bit in comparison uh, to, you know, Bloodborne and Dark Souls was, I, I thought the anim- the characters, the way they animated was stiffer than what you would get in your typical Soulsborne game. <clears throat> and I found, so like one of my favorite things about Soulsborne games is the bosses and how gigantic and interesting they look and how frankly terrifying they are. And yeah. how you get a, an overwhelming sense of power from them. And you still get that from Neo, but at least the boss that I fought was kind of like eh, a little bit underwhelming, a little bit generic looking. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. Um, you still you still got a sense of power from him because he kind of wiped the floor with me, as <laughs> tends to be the case when you're uh, playing a hard game in a demo. But what, were, what was your take on the on the bosses? I, I really didn't like the bosses, to be honest with you. That's that's some of my beef with it is that um, um, the early bosses were big and and they looked great and they were fun to fight. Um, but the latter bosses to the end of the toward the end of the game, and I'm not spoiling too much, but they were more human sized. And you know, there were some that had magic powers and they can fly around and stuff like that. And there was one or two end game bosses that are huge in scope, you know, just gigantic on the screen. But most of them were. Were, were basically really hard duels with with human sized bosses, and that really kind of robbed some of the late game of its um, some of the early, the atmosphere that they were building early on, um, and that sense of dread you get from like what you were saying, like fighting a, a boss in the in Dark Souls or, or Bloodborne is just they look so large and weird and grotesque, and you know how am I ever going to kill that thing? And I I didn't really get that sense from some of the later stuff. Um, another mechanic that uh neo has is that there's a stamina gauge for everything and it's visible it's visible even for the enemies so if you're it, it, as you attack enemies the stamina gauge of for them goes down too so you can put them in sort of a a, a crumpled state and deliver a, like a powerful follow-up attack so if you're judicious with your attacking especially the more human-sized enemies in the game because there's a lot of weapons that are specifically made to fight humans and not not yokai, not the monsters. Um, I could stagger enemies at a, at a much faster pace than I, I really thought that an endgame boss should let me do, to be honest with you. So I I was a little let down by a lot of the monsters. Um, 
the early stuff, especially like the the bigger yokai that you find in the levels, are super impressive and really intimidating. But uh, I just wish some of the bossers closer to the end were that cool. Speaking of the weapons, um, so as we both know, um, kind of like the weapons kind of define a Soulsborne game. Like everybody has kind of their favorites. Um, they can really define the way that they play, the way that you play through the game. Uh, how do like what what are some of Neo's like? How do sorry, how do Neo's weapons stack up? Well, um, there are um, specific weapon types in Neo. So like, there's a hammer, there's a sword, there's a dual sword, there's a sickle and chain, and a um, a spear, and they all attack the same way. So that's kind of a, a big difference between Neo and, and maybe one of the Souls games, especially Dark Souls when there are so many so many weapons. Bloodborne just didn't have as many. Um, so in those games, like if you got a like great sword and then you got um, maybe some other sort of great sword, the swing might be different in all those weapons or like the, the speed of the swing could be a little bit different too. The animations could be different as well. In Neo, a hammer is a hammer is a hammer. So um, once that, that, I think that was one of the reasons I didn't find it t- so hard is that like once I got used to using a hammer, I knew what I was going to be in for for the entirety of the game. So that was a little bit of a letdown. Um, the, the flip side is that like a Diablo, um, you could get two of the exact same hammer, but there are level differences between the weapons. So like they may have other passive abilities. They may be, be- better built for different types of foes. Um, you can merge weapons through the blacksmith and some stuff um, will be passed down to the new weapon, some of the, some of the abilities too. So that kind of balanced out a little bit of the disappointment. Like, um, you know, aesthetically, all the weapons look different and they're they're cool looking, but it's just the exact same thing from one katana to the next. So it's nice that they had the extra abilities, though, and that's really kind of what you're looking for when you're killing guys and scavenging the environment. Like, okay, I need to find a better whatever. Is better going to be based on like the the raw damage output, or is it going to be based on like some of the other passive abilities that could be into this thing? And how can I manipulate that with the blacksmith if I really need to? I I found it interesting that you said that by virtue of the loot and the way the natural progression worked, that you felt overpowered to the point that you're kind of overwhelming enemies with. Uh, sheer stats, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could you kind of see that in the Soulsborne games as well, right? Um, especially, I remember in Dark Souls Three, the dark the dark sword was considered super OP for quite a while, and your people yeah. were just bum rushing uh, through through these enemies. It kind of is a a shared. I don't want to call it a weakness. It's just um, kind of comes with the game, right? Yeah, and you know, um, after going through a, a game as difficult as a Dark Souls or a Bloodborne or Neo, having the opportunity to basically like muso through a bunch of like <laughs> random bad guys, that feels pretty satisfying. Yeah. I find it funny that now there's like a subset of gamers who are like, oh, Dark Souls? <laughs> Dark Souls is easy. Oh, like sure. there's, they're totally <laughs> just trying to show off as much as is humanly possible. It's like, oh, yeah, no. I've gone through it ten times, and I've done all this stuff. Dark Souls, psh, 
piece of cake. And I'm sure people will be with that, like that with Neo as well. Oh, I'm, totally. And I'm, I was trying not to... If I came off that way earlier, no, no, podcast, you're not. I'm sorry, but like, I'm thinking yeah, more along a... the lines of the people who are like, "What Polygon isn't hardcore enough to beat Neo? Psh, what a bunch of filthy scrubs, uh, casuals." People, yeah, there's anything, anything that gets more niche, niche as time goes on. Like you know, like harder games like a Dark Souls start to sort of appear, and they're. Um, Souls-like games, I guess, in this case, start to come up too. There's going to be like unnecessary snobbery popping up someplace, and, and here it is. There, <laughs> yes, you're better at video games than I am. I guess I'll have to find a way to move on with my life now. I think, and this is not meant to be a slight against Neo so much. Um, like playing a game like Neo just really highlights to me uh, maybe what a remarkable game Dark Souls actually is. Um, because it really like throws into sharp relief how hard it is to make one of these games. Yeah, right. Uh, Nia, like we're talking about like just this amazing combination of art and atmosphere and especially level design and encounter balancing and the whole nine yards. And maybe that's why we haven't seen Dark Souls clones. <laughs> it's just like, the amount of return that you're going to get for the amount of effort that you have to put into making these games um, is sky high. <laughs> uh, so maybe Team Ninja deserves a fair amount of credit for even kind of coming close. Oh, yeah. Like, I think this is the closest one so far of the other stuff that I've played. Like, we talked a, a while ago about Salt and Sanctuary. That was a really mm. cool game with, with really good atmosphere. They got the atmosphere right, I think. But, Nailed um, it. Yeah, but they've got other little stuff kind of wrong, and Neo mm. is the same way, sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like, the, the fighting is great in Neo, but the atmosphere, it, it's not totally there, and it, it gets um, more and more kind of big action movie-like by the end of the game, too, and that's a little <laughs> unsettling. Um, but you're, you're totally right. It's, <laughs> it took, I think, a singular vision to make Demon Souls and then to grow it into Dark Souls, and now that, like, the template's kind of there for some people, it's and Neo, I think, is a very good example of this. That like, okay, these are people, that, or we're going to take this game, this Dark Souls kind of formula, and we're going to add this and this and this to it, and it seems at the expense of uh, like atmosphere, or in some cases, level design. Because some of the levels, the later levels, are super linear and kind of boring. Um, but they got the the other things that they needed to get. They absolutely nailed it. So who knows? You know, I we're going to see more games like these come out soon i you know i think you and i joked at one point there's going to be a, a dark souls fps at some point and i'm you know for a fact that it's going to come it'll come eventually and we'll see how close those whoever develops something like that gets it too i'm always a little leery by the way of like incessantly comparing a game to like a better known game in kind of the same genre sure but the souls born games like dark souls and bloodborne are such giants <laughs> that it's almost inevitable. But I suppose, do you feel like Neo kind of stands kind of stands on its own? Is it the kind of game that you would want to play even if you weren't trying to scratch that Soulsborne itch? Yeah, I think so. Um, because it's, I mentioned this in the review too, that like if you're really into action games, this game's not so far removed from Ninja Gaiden. Like uh, it's definitely more Bloodborne mm. than Ninja Gaiden. 
Um, but you can unlock abilities that like pop guys into the air and like continue combo strings and stuff like that. It's, it's just not quite to that extent. So if you are a person that likes hardcore action games, but maybe doesn't or never really got into a, a Bloodborne or a, um, a Dark Souls, this could be a good bridge for you. Um, kind of taking a step back from what we were talking about a second ago, though, like I think, yes, not like the Souls games are so towering now, especially critically, like how far they've come and how the press talked about it for years. Um, I, it's not maybe quite at this, that level, but like think of when like Doom came out, like everybody played Doom, and then when other first-person shooters started to come out around that, they were still Doom clones to everybody at that point. It wasn't until probably like Quake or Quake 2 that people started kind of saying, okay, it's no longer a Doom clone, it's just a, a first-person shooter, it's just this kind of game. Um, I like to think that we're going to start moving away from from using terms like Souls-like or Bloodborne-like pretty soon when, when more games like this start to appear. Um, uh, no, we still use terms like roguelike after that's 40 true. years. Yeah, that's <laughs> 30 true. Years. You got me there. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah, I suppose we will. Um, I, I'm i glad that Neo exists, and I think that it will scratch a particular itch for people who are looking for hardcore action games slash dungeon crawlers. And I'm kind of happy to have Team Ninja back, right? Like, yeah. they, they were definitely missed. And the fact that last year everybody, like, kind of flipped out when they thought a new Ninja Gaiden was coming out and then they discovered that it was just going to be like a soundtrack or whatever from the composer. Yeah. <laughs> like, kind of shows that Ninja Gaiden still has a certain amount of cachet. And uh, it seems like Neo, like, I, I don't know if it's going to be like a sleeper hit or a dark horse, but it seems to already have a built-in audience of people who are going to like it. And I think that it is certainly a worthwhile game. Um, I'm kind of curious. So as a hardcore uh, Dark Souls, Soulsborne fan, how do you feel about the fact that Dark Souls 3 is in all, like, in all probability the last of the series uh, by Miyazaki? It, it was time. I think, I think this was the right move. Um, I'm, I'm also not a fan of like franchises living until, until way past their shelf life. Mm -hmm. So milking um, it until it's just like a shallow husk of itself. Right, right. So I, if he wants to move on and do other stuff, great. Let him do that. Um, if he wants to kind of like... I, I loved Bloodborne so much. You know, I was surprised when I first heard about Bloodborne and started seeing screenshots and video and stuff like that. Like, I got a load of the setting and I'm like, that doesn't look like that's going to be for me. I'm not sure I'm going to like this. And I was so, so wrong about that. So, you know, if him or... If, if his team, whoever is making the next kind of, you know, taking this this subgenre and moving on to, to different stuff and using it in different ways, I am all for it. So I think um, I was a little, I was honestly getting a little burned out by yearly releases from those guys. And I think that they see that too. I think the DLC that's coming out in a, in a month or so is really going to sort of wrap all, you know, the, the Souls stuff up. And I'm happy for them to, to get a chance to move on and do something else. I think we all are, especially, and it seems so strange to think about in an era where franchises are everything and everybody wants, like, the franchise to be able yeah. to 
uh, keep your studio afloat. But I, I suppose it's it's nice that they're stepping away. Um, I think everybody kind of still wants Bloodborne too. I would like a Bloodborne too, <laughs> but I'm happy for them that they have the opportunity to kind of put a period on something. I, you're right. I don't think a lot of people get that opportunity, especially with um, publishers breathing down your neck to give them the next big hit, you know, and, and you as a studio head, I've got to keep the lights on in here. And if that means making making more games in this series to, to fund whatever passion projects we have, then so be it. I'm, I'm glad that FromSoft kind of got to the point after so many years, because they've been around forever, that they could they can make those decisions for themselves. That's great. I hope Miyazaki, like Miyazaki alluded to wanting to do quirkier, more experimental stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really hope that he... So did George Lucas. I, I really hope that he makes another game on the scale of Dark Souls, but that he goes in a different direction. Um, I wouldn't mind, say, a gothic, very different, very difficult turn-based RPG, for example. Or something that's just a lot more in the direction of a traditional RPG rather than an action-based dungeon crawler, you know? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, he has be that cool. kind of mind. He has the mind to be able to do really interesting things with that genre. Yeah, I, you know, he was involved in Armored Core. I'm not a really <laughs> big Armored Core guy. Um, and Armored then... Core is just, Armored Core, it's like a thing. It's yeah, been going right. on for a long time. It's got its fans. I mean, people are kind of complaining that they haven't seen a new Armored Core for a long time. Yeah, too, you're talking but... to one of them. <laughs> I played um, Armored Core back in the PlayStation days, the original PlayStation days. That was the last Armored Core I played. Hmm. It was the, the first one. Um, yeah, I'd like to see him do... I, I just want to see him do do some something new and different. Like, I would like a Bloodborne 2, but I don't... I'd Sony like does to see too. him move. Yeah, I'm sure they would. But I'd like to see him kind of move on to do doing quirkier, weirder stuff. You know, um, I read an interview with him once that he said that the the stories from these games kind of come and the way they're they're told in such a disjointed manner is that he didn't know English very well and he was reading dark fantasy novels in English as a young man. So he had to sort of like plug the holes himself with his imagination. And I think that. It's really telling for the kind of stuff that he likes to make. Like he likes to make these kind of weird things and, and let the player plug the holes themselves with their imagination. And I hope he, he sort of follows that in a, in a different way with his newer games. It works really well in a very video game kind of a way. He, more than a lot of designers, lets the gameplay do the talking in terms of filling in the lore. Yeah, uh, like you see so many things and you don't know what the heck is going on, but you just naturally want to learn more. Mm-hmm. and uh, that was something that carried all the way through. Uh, do you feel like that element manages to work its way into Neo, or they do a lot more sh- uh, telling than showing? Oh, it's way more telling. <laughs> There's, um, there are not long cutscenes, but cutscenes do do show up, and um, like whenever you get a new Guardian Spirit monster thing, animal deal, um, you get like a short kind of animated cutscene, like still, still animated cutscene, and they look cool, um, but Again, I think this goes to more the Koei end of the spectrum, the Samurai Warriors and uh, Dynasty Warriors stuff that they wanted to tell a historical tale of uh, high fantasy history of Japan. And so you'll, you'll see a lot of cutscenes and stuff. So it's not as um, strange and, and atmospheric as the, the Souls stuff in that respect. All right. Well, if you want to know more about Neo, uh, John's 
review is up on the site. He gave it a 4 out of 5. He went pretty in-depth into both the first and second half of the games. Um, And he also, by the time this podcast is up, there should be uh, a deeper analysis into how hard Neo actually is um, that you can also go read. Uh, John, where else can we find you? Uh, well, um, I am annotating Symphony of the Night on YouTube. So yeah, if you, just go you to... should go check those out. They're cool videos. Thank you. Yeah, go to go to YouTube and just do a search for annotated Symphony of the Night. I I just finished a couple weeks ago the um, the underground cavern, so I'm going section by section into the castle and um, getting into the you know the mythology, the the history of of locations and enemies and the stuff that they drop and stuff. So uh, check that stuff out, and then um, hopefully more on. I did something for Paste not so long ago, and hopefully some more stuff for Paste in the near future. And then you for U.S. Gamer Cat, so hopefully more more soon from me. Yeah, you recently turned in a history of Vagrant Stories localization, which um, with some interviews with the people who are involved, and I really look forward to posting that. Um, should be up next week. So cool. we'll have you back on the show to talk about that relatively soon. Awesome. Right on. All right. Thanks, John. And we will see you again soon. Thank you. See you later. All right. Thanks to John for joining me and talking about Neo and all of the things. You know, Nadia, like I was promising Bloodsport here and (laughs) she ended up being really nice. What the hell? We have to stop being so reasonable. God, I... We need to do, um, are you familiar with stuff like ESPN First Take or whatever? Uh, I, I'm familiar with stuff like that because my husband watches like stuff like that for WWE, so yes. I'm just not capable of coming up with like really extreme like takes for the star- sake of starting an argument. Well, okay, do you watch, are you familiar with Don Cherry? Uh, yes, I am actually. Okay, so am I. Don so... Cherry and his jackets. Yeah. Hockey night in Canada. <laughs> that's him so yeah he's kind of known for being really loud and kind of racist but uh, i'm glad we're not like that <laughs> yeah i'm glad i'm not like that too <laughs> uh not to say that garnett lee is loud and racist but back in the one-up days he always used to do the i'm just playing the devil's advocate thing <laughs> i think i've i think i've come across that devil's advocate person persona a few times with him he oh a persona um hey. Yeah, it would drive people up the wall, but it was so effective because <laughs> it made for good radio because people like, um, oh God, and like people like the various people who would be on the show, like Shane Bettenhausen would just like lose their mind trying to argue <laughs> with him. It, it was He's Shane like, I was just playing devil's advocate. What do you want? Uh, people like that, that, that can get me riled up and I'm not sure I'm one who gets riled up very easily. Um, but yeah, if you have uh, any com- anything to add to our Fire Emblem Heroes discussion, which I'm sure you do, um, I have at least one friend who's like, Cat, I'm going to sit you down and lecture you about free-to-play games like the next time we meet. And I'm like, oh, goody. Okay. <laughs> Yay. You can bring like uh, a fake pair of those glasses that Homer has with the eyes that- <laughs> so you're sleeping. Uh, yeah, so drop me a line at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Um, in the meantime, Axel Bloodcod, US Gamer Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold uh leave us a review I, yes. i've been enjoying the reviews that i've been reading on the podcast lately um if you really enjoy the show well give us a good review and we will continue to become more visible for everything uh you know we want to 
keep evangelizing for the blood god and mm-hmm. everything uh, that uh, all of the good things that are RPGs. By the way, Nadia, the blood god really hates free to play mobile. Oh shit! I'm, I have a problem then. <laughs> yes, he cast down. Uh, like I sinned against the blood god the second that I monetized in Fire Emblem Heroes. Was there a crack of lightning and? Well, more like the blood god was just kind of shaking his head, like, like, come on, cat. What like, are you oh doing? my disciple. Looking over his glasses, like in disappointment. <laughs> come on, cat. I'm... You're supposed to be like on my side here, and here you are, freaking monetizing in Fire Emblem Heroes. What's your he, problem? He's not mad. He's just disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, thanks to Nadia, as always, for coming on the show. You can find her at Nadia Oxford. Um, and, of course, thanks to me for coming on the show and hosting <laughs> it and producing it and doing all of these other things. You can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Keep an eye on the site for lots of great RPG coverage and everything else. I roast, uh, By the time this episode is up, you will see um, a thing kind of talking about the robots in Horizon Zero Dawn and how they are the most interesting thing about that game. And of course, uh, you, you know, Nadia and I had our pieces to say about Fire Emblem Heroes and Stages of Regret and how it kind of got us, got Nadia at least back into the games. By the way, Nadia, like the next time we get together, I'm curious to hear what you think about Fire Emblem Fates because I don't think you were on the show when Fire Emblem Fates uh, initially came out, so... No, I didn't. Uh, so uh, I definitely am interested in, in trying that out, and maybe I should get that, like, at least started up before uh, the Switch consumes our lives. Yes, indeed. Uh, oh, T-minus less than a month. Oh, geez, I know. Here we go. Switch time, almost here. Uh, by the time I get back from Europe, um, Horizon Zero Dawn will be a, almost be a thing, so... Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're going to have a lot to cover. Um, hopefully next week I will be able to record a podcast. Um, I have kind of ideas of maybe dragging some of the Eurogamer people on the show because I will be I will be in the nerve center, the headquarters of the Gamer Network. Like a virus. And I will have access to an honest-to-God recording studio. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Fancy, I don't get to right? see those very often. So if I can drag them into a show uh, recording studio. Maybe we can do a uh, fancy British uh, accented act of the blood god. <laughs> but in the meantime, as always, thanks for joining Nadia and I. <clears throat> we enjoy having you here to listen to us ramble on about RPG po- RPGs over a way too long period of time. Why the heck are our episodes getting way longer? Because we have so much to say. We have so much to say. But um, if we are not back next week, we will be back in two weeks. As always, to talk more about RPGs, Nadia will have things to say about Fire Emblem. I will have things to say about Chrono Trigger. But until then, thanks for listening and for Nadia and myself. We'll see you again next time and happy adventuring. (laughs) 